0: One would be a Bible, if you could turn back to page 1037, Uh, and the second thing would probably be uh, a piece of paper with which you can fan yourself if you've not got one already. Um, I hope you're not going to be uh, too warm uh, tonight. We're we're starting a new series uh, this evening and over the summer uh, looking at some of Jesus' parables, stories that illustrate spiritual realities. And tonight uh, we're beginning with Luke chapter 8, so please do Have that open in front of you. Three things uh, we'll learn tonight if we listen to Jesus. Something about parables, uh, we'll find the the dividers into two groups of people. Something about God's kingdom, uh, the place where God rules and how we enter it. And something about God's word, how we should respond. And the point Jesus wants to leave us with seems to come in verse 18 of chapter 8. If you have it there, he seems to say this. uh, Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Consider carefully how you listen. And we'll come back to that. I'm not sure if it was uh, last Sunday evening when Paul, uh, our vicar, mentioned that he'd been to Meadow Hall for the first time. I'm similar, I think, in my almost allergic reaction to the place. Uh, But I'm a creature of habit, so when I have to go, I I like to park in the same place uh, so I can go in by the same entrance. That way I remember the layout of the shops. Uh, On a few occasions, there's been a disaster. Other people have parked in my car park. Perhaps some of you. Um, So I've had to park somewhere else, which means I go in through different doors. And because I'm a bit simple, I lose my bearings. And my only hope is finding one of those huge maps with those three encouraging words. You are here. You've got it. I get my bearings and I'm off and running. It can be a little bit like that with the Bible, can't it? We we come in at a different point, chapter 8 tonight, and we wonder... What's going on? Uh, So let's allow Luke to give us a little you are here. Uh, Let me just uh, tell you what's been happening. He tells us at the beginning of his book uh, why he's writing. He's providing us with a carefully investigated orderly account of the things God has done through Jesus. You can see that back at the start of chapter 1. In chapter 4, he presents Jesus as the Son of God who has come to fulfill the promises God has made in his word. A promise to rescue sinful people, restore them to a relationship with himself, and living under his good rule and blessing forever. Uh, Jesus gives various proofs that he's the genuine article, and then we see him start to call people to trust him, put their faith in him, believe his word. And there's lots of excitement as you read through the opening chapters. Crowds start following, but As you read those early chapters, you see that the response is mixed. Some leaders are hostile, and they reject him. The crowds are often more interested in the hype, and that faith or trust that Jesus is looking for seems very scarce. We get a glimpse of it in chapter 7 and verse 9. Just turn back there for a moment, if you would. Verse 9 of chapter 7, Let, let me fill you in on the story. A Roman soldier... Whose servant was ill? Here's that Jesus could heal people. As some Jewish leaders come to Jesus and ask him to help, they say a very interesting thing. They say this man deserves to have you help him. He deserves to have you help him. And Jesus goes with them, but on the way, the soldier sends a message. Again, that's very interesting. He says, "Look, I'm not worthy. In effect, I don't deserve your help, but I know that if you say the word, my servant will be healed." And then do you see verse 9? And Jesus responds. Jesus was amazed at him. I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. A faith that says I've nothing to bargain with God. I just humbly ask for help and trust his word. There's not much of that faith around, says Jesus. We get another glimpse in verse 50 of chapter 7. So just look onto that. It might be over the page. And this time, Jesus is having dinner at the home of another Jewish leader. And while he's there, a woman comes in, uninvited. And everyone knows what kind of woman she is. And she falls at Jesus' feet. She's weeping. And she starts to wash his feet with her tears. It's one of those painfully awkward social moments. What do you do? You just want to get rid of her. And this Jewish leader, Simon... Seems bothered that Jesus would let a woman like this touch him. Well, she's a sinner. And Jesus knows what he's thinking, and he starts to talk to Simon about sin and forgiveness. And he explains the woman is acting this way because she's found God would forgive all her sin. Now, that's the implication. These are tears of gratitude. And she's thanking Jesus. And now do you see Jesus' words in verse 50 of chapter 7? He says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now there it is again, that faith, that trust he's looking for. Just a glimpse. Uh, That's some of where we are in Luke's gospel. Actually, that's where we, we all are. Jesus looking for people who will trust him. I hope that gives you a little bit of a, a, a you are here. So come back to our reading in chapter 8. Uh, the crowds are starting to gather again in verse 4. So we read these words. While a large crowd was gathering, the people, and people were coming from town after town, Jesus told this parable, soil and seeds and, and all the rest. Now, there are certain situations that I never want to find myself in. Uh, one of them is to be in the audience for Gardener's Question Time. I love nice gardens. I just don't understand gardening. And in chapter eight, you feel that's where you've landed. It seems odd, doesn't it? Jesus is looking for faith, and then he starts talking about gardening. It doesn't quite fit with Jesus' priorities, does it? And that's the point. He's saying something else, wanting to know who's listening and who's just after the hype. His disciples have been around him long enough by this stage to know there must be something else. And they guess correctly. You hear their question in verse 9. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. Uh, They've sussed it out. It must mean something else. And before he tells them, uh, Jesus gives an explanation about parables generally. Uh, Let's look at verse 10. Parables then. Uh, various friends who've got married have told me they used to think they had one collection of clothes, just their clothes. How surprised they were when, after getting married, their wives informed them there were, in fact, two distinct groups uh, barely acceptable fashion and totally unacceptable fashion. Uh, getting married exposed something they'd never been aware of. I can see some wives here have given up on that. But um, parables, parables seem to split things. Into two distinct groups. Or, I guess, more accurately, they expose two groups, two different types of people. And all of us will eventually fall into one of these. There are disciples, and there are the others Jesus mentions in verse 10. You see what Jesus says to the disciples, verse 10. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Knowing about God isn't a mysterious code that you need to crack. It's a gift. And Jesus will give it. And if there's anything secret about it, well, it's a secret that Jesus wants to tell you. So here we go. parables will help disciples people who are responding to Jesus, because they'll help explain what God's kingdom is like. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But they also work another way. There's a different effect on these others. Just look down at that now. But to the others, I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand, what does Jesus mean? Well, the clues in the quote actually comes from our first reading in Isaiah. Jesus is, is quoting that passage. And that was a time when the nation of Israel wasn't in a very good state at all. The majority of the people were persistently refusing to listen to God, ignoring his appeals to return to him. And they were heading for trouble. God appoints Isaiah to continue to speak to them, but to tell them, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Ever seeing, but never perceiving. And the point seems to be this. What can you say to people who won't accept the truth? What can you say to people who won't accept the truth? Well, God says he'll keep telling them the truth, but that's their problem, isn't it? They refuse it. So the more he speaks, the worse it becomes. And they start to get hardened to it. In telling them the truth, God actually starts to to judge they're not listening to him. And because you, you refuse to listen to me, he says, eventually you won't be able to listen. You'll see the truth, but you won't see it. You'll hear the truth, but you won't hear it. And back to our story from Jesus. Jesus is saying, history is repeating itself. He is telling people the truth, and the majority are refusing it. And there's lots of excitement, but only glimpses of faith. And just like Isaiah's day, he's going to keep speaking, but his word will act in one of two ways. It will either help or it will hinder. It will either help disciples or harden others. If you come along to Foolwood regularly, you'll know that we run a little course for finding out about Christianity called Open to Question. A couple of years ago, two of the people who were on it read this story, and neither of them were Christians. One, one had grown up going to Sunday school, the other was a scientist. And when they came to Jesus' words, the one who had gone to Sunday school said, well, This doesn't make sense. I thought parables were little stories to help you remember things. And the scientist said, no, no, that's not it. Parables are more like filters. They help to separate who is really listening from who's not. I think the scientist was right. It's quite a thought for us, isn't it, over the next few weeks. As we look at Jesus' parables, where will we find ourselves? Which group are we in? It's quite a thought, actually, for this first parable. Will it help us respond to God better? Or will we want to refuse the truth? Let's look at the parable then. Let's see what Jesus tells us about God's kingdom. God's kingdom, verses 11 to 15, have that in front of you. And when you look at it, the explanation, the parable seems quite simple when Jesus explains it, doesn't it? the seed is God's word? Different soils are different types of people and how they respond. Do they really believe? Is that genuine faith? And he seems to say this about God's kingdom. Believing God's word is how you enter and grow. Verses 12 and 15. Now just look at verse 12. Those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. So you can work out the implication. The way to be saved, the way into God's kingdom, is to believe God's word, and to put your faith in what Jesus says. If you lose God's word, you have no chance. So what does believing God's word look like? Well, again, Jesus tells us in verse 15. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Believing God's word is not merely agreeing that certain things are true. No, this is the response that Jesus commends. When his word lands in a person, they hold on to it. Are they take his promises seriously. So much so that their lives start to be shaped around them. Are they hold on to these promises and won't let go of them. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this for us. Even by my standards, this is a poor attempt, but it was the best I can do. There's, you know, I, I work with the students normally. There's still a number of students around over the summer. And we meet on Tuesday evenings for food together and a Bible study. One of the students, Duncan, is quite good on the old puddings, a banoffee pie. He made one for us the other week. But he had to drive with it on his passenger seat from where he lives over to where we were meeting for the Bible study. Holding on to the banoffee pie is paramount, isn't it? So it should shape the way he drove. You don't want to drive too fast. You don't want to take corners too quickly. You don't want someone to come in and sit on the passenger seat. And it's no use holding on for the first part of the journey then letting rip at the end, is it? You need to persevere all the way. Be patient. Hold on so that you can get there. Everything else revolves around the pie. And it's worth it because Duncan makes good pie. Unfortunately, Duncan didn't hold on. (laughs) And I believe his car still smells of cream and bananas. But listen. And listen to this. Understand that with God's word... If you're going to hold on to it, it doesn't mean that you won't do other things. It doesn't mean that you won't do other things, work and entertainment, extensions on your house, getting married, going on holiday, spending money, driving a nice car, falling in love, eating banoffee pie, facing death. It doesn't mean that you won't do those things. But it will have to shape everything you do. It really will. God's word will have to shape everything. You need to set the course of your life holding on to God's promises. So as you think about your career, God's word is paramount. As you fall in love, God's word is to guard your heart. As you evaluate your ambitions, God's word is the measurement. As you spend your money, God's word is your financial advisor. And as you say, I'm giving in to this temptation, God's word says no. Jesus says, living this way will find real life and growth. But I find myself thinking, no, I want to be in charge. You know how it goes, you invite someone around for a Sunday lunch and you bring out a cheesecake that you've made and, and say, would you like a piece? And they say, no, I want all of it. <laughs> and you say, well, you're very rude. Don't you have any manners? And you offer God your life and you say, would you like a piece? And he says, no, I want all of it. And you say, well, you're very rude. Don't you have any manners? And God says, no, I want all of it because no one else has a right to any of it. And do you want to know if there is sin in your heart that you need to turn away from? You'll feel it squirm as God says, I want all of you. See, do you feel this parable start to do its filtering work on our hearts? I I don't really like it. And I realize I'm in danger of being someone who God says, though seeing, you don't see, though hearing, you don't understand you understand again, you need Jesus to save you for God. So you hold on to God's word about Jesus, who promises to save us by his cross, and as you patiently persevere, it will produce a crop, a life shaped by God's certain promises. Look, if entering God's kingdom depends on believing his word like this, you need to know that it's hard to do that. Believing God's word is a battle. Well, just look at the other soils. The soil on the path, verse 12, that the devil seems to snatch away before it gets started. The soil on the rocks, verse 13, with no real root, it falls away when being a Christian is tough. The soil among the thorns, verse 14, God's word was just never the priority. So it gets choked. Uh, There might be someone here. Maybe you've been invited along by a work colleague and you're genuinely intrigued by Jesus and the things he has to say. And you go into work tomorrow and you say to that female colleague that you like, you know I went to church with John yesterday and she says, oh, I didn't think you'd fall for that kind of rubbish. And you feel embarrassed and you resolve to never mention it again. The seed's been snatched away just like that. You let it go. Or perhaps you're here and you you call yourself a Christian, but just recently you've begun to feel that being a Christian is quite inconvenient. Some of Jesus' promises and commands don't fit with the way you want to live. In fact, they're a little uncomfortable. And when push comes to shove, you know you take your choice over God's word. In fact, you're already doing it. You're the soil and the rocks, aren't you? God's word hasn't gone deep at all. Or perhaps you responded to Jesus as a young man. You were full of enthusiasm about Jesus and about girls and about your career and about your car and your mortgage. There just hasn't been time to give to Jesus, and you know what? You hardly notice it anymore, anyway. On the occasions you do come to church, you you kind of smile at the enthusiastic people and you think, gosh, they take it a bit too seriously. And you spend your increasing salary and your increasing leisure time and you're not even aware the spiritual breath has long since been choked out of your body. That's the thorns, isn't it? And would you notice something about what Jesus says? Notice Jesus doesn't seem to think that all of this signifies a problem with the seed. There's no problem with God's word. It is clear and penetrating. He's warning us that listening is a battle. So here's the final thing before we consider a few applications for us. Here's a final thing about God's word in verses 16 to 18. And with God's word, it's either use it or lose it. And that's what Jesus says in verses 16 to 18. Now, if you're you're troubled by this parable, well, well, then let Jesus encourage you. It could seem that as you look at this, these soils are fixed. You might think, am I one of these and I'm going to be like that forever? I'll never change. I have to say, I think Jesus is telling us there will be people like this who refuse the truth. But look at what he says at the end of verse 8. And when he said this, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He calls it out to everyone. To the whole crowd. And look what he says in verse 16. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. You understand what he's saying? His words are the light. If you've not been listening, the reason he's speaking now is so you can start to listen. Jesus is not mean in the least. He's not harsh with you. He wants us to come to know him, to be right with him and enjoy his blessing. If he appears sharp, it's the sharpness of a loving savior desperate to rescue you from your hard heart. And that brings us back to verse 18, doesn't it? And so you understand now why Jesus says these words. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Because believing and responding to God's word is the only way into God's kingdom. And because believing and responding to God's word is a battle to listen. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. If you listen, you'll get more and more. And if you don't listen, even the little you think you've got, you'll eventually lose. But with God's word... It's either use it or lose it. So a couple of thoughts just as we finish. Let let me give you a couple of applications. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, as I guess many of you are, and knowing this to be true, I think it helps us to be realistic in a couple of ways, doesn't it? It helps us be realistic about our own struggle to respond to God's word. It is hard. So don't be surprised when you find it difficult. And if you find it hard, you're not the only one. So we need to be realistic about encouraging each other. A good question to ask among your Christian friends and the groups you're part of is this. Are we really listening to God's words? Please don't assume that everyone else is getting on great. Ask them. What have you been reading in the Bible? How are you getting on with it? Make it one of your first questions when you meet for coffee. And it also helps us to be realistic in telling others about Jesus, doesn't it? As long as we're not being stupid or insensitive with the message, we'll not be surprised if some people reject it. I won't be discouraged and think perhaps I've not explained it correctly. If you're being careful, you probably have. Some people will not like what they hear. As best we can, we've got to help people listen carefully take time to explain it work things through with them. if that's you and you've been doing that and it seems like a struggle don't give up jesus says there's nothing wrong with the seed keep sowing god's word and you might be here and you're not a christian tonight can i say just one brief thing to you jesus doesn't expect you to accept things blindly he encourages you to listen carefully You might have all sorts of questions about Jesus and the Bible, about heaven and hell. It's not wrong to ask those questions. And I'm convinced that Jesus will give you the answers that you need. I suppose the first question you want to answer is this, though. Will you listen carefully? Will you have a good heart that is ready to accept the truth? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that even when your word seems hard at times, you always speak it for our good. Lord, would you please help us to have genuine faith in you, to trust you. Please help us to hear your word and to hold on to it. We ask it in your name. Amen. Uh, We're going to sing a closing hymn just now, but I'm going to make a suggestion that we we change the song we sing. I suppose I can do that because I'm up at the front and I'm the only one with a microphone. So the uh, the song we sang earlier, You're the Word of God the Father. Uh, This song that speaks about Jesus being the word that we're to respond to. You're the author of creation. You're the Lord of every man. And your cry of love rings out across the land. Let's sing this song again as we finish.